Um, my name is Chad Kosaboom. I serve the church's executive pastor. Uh, pastor Danny is uh, away at the beach currently with his bride, with Janice, and um, getting some rest. I just would encourage you to pray for your pastor. He needs some rest, and uh, we want him, want him to come back uh, refreshed and ready to lead us. Um, there's something about that scene, something about that scene that we see with people at the table, with the dishes passed around, the mac and cheese, the hands passing it all around. That it kind of, we see the table, and it, and it draws us in. The table itself, it's like, it's like an anchor for us. It's a place where we receive our most basic necessities, where we receive both nutrients and nutrition, where we engage with those that we are closest to, friends and family, around the table, engaging in playful banter or deep conversation. It's at the table where we feast, we enjoy food in front of us and the people who are around us. Now think about it, when we celebrate a significant life event, what do we do? We eat, right? We go to some place, we go to a home, we go to a restaurant, we gather around the table to celebrate a birthday or a wedding or a promotion. Um, we do these things in order to commemorate, to celebrate, to remember and kind of memorialize that moment. Holidays come, same thing, right? Christmas, Easter, 4th of July, you probably got together this past weekend with some friends. We had burgers and hot dogs at our house, right? There are some particular foods that we get around the table together and we, we stop, we celebrate, we remember. And food does that for us. The table draws us to that place. Now, this notion of feasting, it is not a Southern thing, though I think we would probably like to lay claim to it. Um, it's not an American thing. The concept of feasting actually crosses all sorts of cultures and contexts and even time. When we look at uh, the table throughout history, it's been this place where dishes are passed and conversation is had, where flavors of food and, and conversation are enjoyed. If we look at the Old Testament, which is um, the first part of the, the two sections of the Bible, God tells the family of Israel that they're to gather around the table at specific times to both remember and to celebrate. They don't just remember and celebrate anything or the going-ons of their day, but they remember and they celebrate God's specific care for them. It's a particular way that this family was marked, that those on the outside would be able to look at the people of Israel and see them as a people who stop, who remember, who celebrate the goodness of their God. Um, if we look in Leviticus chapter 23, which is where we're gonna be this morning, if you wanna open your Bible, if you have a Bible with you. Um, if we look in Leviticus chapter 23, Moses lists seven feasts that Israel was to keep each year. These feasts were to mark the history of God's work among his people. Each feast has its own significance and it carried from generation to generation the salvation story of God's work for his people. And each feast ultimately points to final salvation through Jesus alone. So today, like Abby mentioned, we're starting a five-week series um, looking at these feasts. And each feast, um, our prayer is, will cause us to stop, to remember, and to celebrate God's goodness in new and special ways, even as God intended when he initiated and instituted the feast to begin with. So let's look together uh, this morning at Leviticus chapter 23, and we're just going to look at the first three verses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. 
So the first feast that we see doesn't really even seem like a feast at all, right? When we think of a feast, we think of these special times that maybe come within a calendar year. There's, there's days and months and seasons that separate them. But this first feast, this feast that they got hands to Moses to give to the people of Israel, it's one that's marked every seven days. Six day, days pass, and then the feast, then the Sabbath. So we're gonna start with just asking the question, what is the Sabbath? What is Sabbath? And kind of the working definition that we're gonna land on this morning is that the Sabbath is a day of dedicated rest to remember and to celebrate God's work. So Sabbath is a dedicated day of rest to remember and celebrate God's work. So the people of Israel, they were to work really hard for six days. They were to kill it. And on the seventh day, they were to Sabbath. They were to stop, which is what the word Sabbath actually means. They were to stop working, every one of them, everywhere that their feet tread. There was to be no work. When God gave the law, uh, the Ten Commandments, um, to Israel, he made this Sabbath a central characteristic of his people. The fourth commandment listed in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy." When the Sabbath day was instituted by God and spoken of, it wasn't just done so as a commandment to the people of Israel. It's rooted in the act of creation itself. That God himself had been working, creating everything. He'd created everything and then he comes to the day of rest. Look with me in Genesis chapter two, verses one through 11. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So Sabbath itself, it's this day of rest dedicated to remembering and celebrating God's work. But we see that Sabbath itself, this kind of rest is modeled by God after creation. Okay, so kind of jog your memory back with me, if we look at the creation account where God is literally speaking and forming all things into existence, the sun rises, the sun sets, and at the end of the day, God looks back on what he had created and he says, it is good. So God himself at the end of each day and even at the end of the act of creation, he looks back on his created work, he looks back on what he has done and he remembers and he celebrates what he himself has done, his own good work. So he models this for us. When we read of God's resting and blessing after creation, this is the last time that we hear of it until we find the Israelites in the wilderness under God's care. So God has rescued Israel from oppression and slavery. Um, he brings them out into the wilderness in this really crazy, miraculous way. And Moses is the one who's been leading them and he's out there with them and they're in the desert and they just start to complain. They, they say, Moses, why did you bring us out here? Just to, to kill us and let us starve to death and die? And what does Moses do? He, he, he intercedes for them. He goes to God, he asks God to provide. And water comes from a, a rock and manna, this kind of bready substance, it comes down from heaven. And in Exodus 16, we see that even as God provides this food, this means of provision for his people, 
We see that he institutes this principal Sabbath and even the way that he provides for them. He tells them that six days they're to go and they're to collect this provision, this manna from heaven. But on the sixth day, they're to collect for the seventh day as well because on the seventh day, God's not raining down the food and the people are not going out to collect. On the seventh day, they're going to feast on leftovers, God's provision for them, and they would, were to rest. So we jump from Genesis and creation, God's institution, his modeling of rest, to Exodus where God's providing for his people and showing them the way of trust, of resting in him. And then we land here in Leviticus. And this, this this morning is where God initiates and institutionalizes. He makes it a principal core value of his people is this idea of rest. And again, as we look at this list of feasts, Sabbath is at the top. This weekly occurrence is at the top of the list because all the other feasts, they, they hinge on the Sabbath concept itself. So we're gonna see this kind of repeated as we go, out, go throughout the next several weeks. Look with me again at Leviticus 23. Again, it reads, six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a, day, is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. It's a Sabbath it's a stopping, it's a stopping to the Lord. God's ex expectation of his people is that they would stop working just as they had worked for him. They would stop and they would rest for him. This meant that they would completely stop working. There were actual lists full of things that qualified as work and things that weren't work. And God took this idea pretty seriously. If you violated one of these, these lists of what work was, the consequences were pretty severe. You could be cast out of the family of God. You would be, you would be shut out. And even in some circumstances, death was the ultimate outcome. God took this Sabbath rest very, very seriously. So God models Sabbath rest for us in creation, but we have to see that this idea of Sabbath rest, it is an act of faith itself. Man's responsibility was to stop, to stop working, to stop producing, to stop managing, to stop toiling, to stop. I actually wonder if it was as difficult for them in their time as they hear this come from Moses as it is or seems to be for us in our time. I think about the farmer, him hearing this idea of taking a whole day to rest that his sowing and his harvesting of seed, that that would be a welcome respite away from the diligent work that he was having to do day in and day out. But to that farmer, that was less food on the table and one, and one less day of harvest to take to the market and sell. I think of the carpenter, the carpenter who would chop and plane and, and, and hammer and take wood and fashion it into these primitive pieces of furniture that he would then provide for his family or then take and provide for someone else's family by sale. And for him, it was one more day added to his process of finishing. It was one less day before he actually earned the income of what his labor had produced. This Sabbath rest, it was an act of faith to trust in God. In stopping, they were faced with this image of God. He was one of two people. He was either a God who could be trusted and knew what was best for them, or he was a God who was vengeful and did not want people to flourish or thrive on their own. And I would say that it seems that these same implications, they're on our heels, they follow us today. This question, is God good? 
Does he know what's good for us? Can we trust him? Is he out for me or am I on my own? Sabbath is an act of rest and this concept of Sabbath as we read about it, God giving it to the people of Israel, we have to ask the question, well, how does that transfer to today? How does that move into our context, into our time? Because if you look around, you're gonna leave this place and this idea of stop working. There are people working all around us if we're gonna qualify today as the Sabbath. We're gonna go to restaurants, people are gonna make food, they're gonna, they're gonna serve it to us. We're gonna go to the gas station because we need gas. We're gonna go to the store because we need groceries for tomorrow. How does this concept translate to us? And there's a good bit of theological debate actually on what the role of Sabbath actually is within the Christian life. God instituted the Sabbath for Israel under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law or promise. And this covenant, this law, actually is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So if it's fulfilled, if God's requirements, his law, his expectations for us to live in right relationship with him, if it's fulfilled, then do we still have to practice it? What does it mean for us? And if we do, is it Saturday or is it Sunday? And I gotta tell you, I think it must be Sunday because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. And I always want Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Can I get an amen? It must be the Lord's day. Seriously, uh, church historians broadly state with the, that the Sabbath was actually, in, uh, in Jewish tradition, it was Saturday. It was the seventh day, the last day of the week. It's likely that this practice of work and rest, of stopping and celebrating and remembering, it was transferred to Sunday um, on the day that Jesus rose from the grave and that he ascended into heaven. And the days that, that are recorded in scripture that he most had interactions with those around him post-resurrection was on a Sunday. So in essence, what was the Sabbath transfers to the Lord's day on Sunday. What was Saturday moves to Sunday. And while Sabbath keeping was a clear requirement from God of his people under the law, our old covenant before Jesus, it's clear that when Jesus fulfilled that law, when he did for us what we cannot do on our own, when we look at the standard that God set for his people in scripture, you even look at those 10 characteristics, those 10 commandments that God gives to the people of Israel, and it's impossible. It's impossible. And the impossibility of God's expectations for us are never meant to be condemning. They're actually meant to only point to the only one who can fulfill God's expectation for us. And that's what Jesus did. And we can't miss that in this moment. There's this good news that we don't have to work to earn anything from God. That through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins, we are then handed the fruit of his labor, salvation for us and to us. The only thing we need to do is to repent and believe in Jesus. That's all that's required for a restored relationship to God. If we look at the way that our, our theological leanings land us on what Sabbath is or what it isn't, we still see, regardless of that, that God's pattern for work and rest and creation is for us a principle in life. God created us for both work and for rest. God created us for both work and for rest. God designed our bodies with a need to stop. We have to stop. We're meant to experience our finiteness. You know that old commercial, which I guess is not, they've like carried it through generations, the Energizer Bunny that never stops. Like it's always beating that blessed drum, right? It just never stops, it keeps on going. 
We are not the Energizer Bunny. Our batteries do need recharging. We're meant to experience that, to feel it, for it to be a part of our human existence. At the end of every day, when we lay down to sleep at night, it is the way that God has fashioned us. He has created us that we cannot go on in life on our own. Too much deprivation from sleep will actually take our lives. It's required of us at the end of every day, at the end of every week. So God's created us for both work and rest. And I think that our physical limitations, they actually teach us something about who we are. Our physical limitations, they are met with our requirement for rest. So the way God wired us, he wired us so that we have to have rest. But in our physical limitations, it's also an opportunity for God to provide for us as he does in our ability to rest and trust in him. God designed us to stop, whether we like it or not. For some of us, the idea of rest sounds nice. We like wanna go home and take a nap right now. Some of us are going to. But for some of us, the idea of rest is only a barrier for us um, in, in our achieving our own kind of godlike status, that we could keep going on our own, providing on our own, and sustaining ourselves. I think that that's the reason that there are so many superhero movies. And I can't even keep them all straight. Superman, Spider-Man, Avengers, Endgame, is it really the end game? Who really knows? We don't know. But we like to identify with these characters because they have these superhuman abilities. They can do these things that we can't. They can fly, they can swing through buildings or between buildings to rescue those who are in need of help, who need saving. They can transport from time and place and history and location. They can do all these things that we were never meant to do. We were created with limits and boundaries. He designed us like this. So this physical limitation, it's met with God's provision of rest, but these physical limitations, they are also windows into our spiritual and eternal reality. They're windows into our spiritual internal reality. There are literally volumes of scientific research that have been done on the idea and concept of rest. So this kind of blows my mind. The fact that God designed our brains so that when we sleep, our mind makes sense of everything that's happened in the day before. So it, it helps us consolidate memories, it solidifies experiences, it kind of puts everything that needs to go to the margin in the margins. Our brain works while we sleep in order to help us move to the next day. The idea that if we feel like we keep working, you work more, you work more, you're gonna get more done. It's actually the laws of productivity say the opposite. If you work without rest, you actually get less done in the process. This is what the research tells us. The research only affirms God's design, right? What, what the research tells us that we have to stop, that we have to rest, it affirms what God tells us in his scriptures. When he makes rest such a significant, important um, aspect of his people, and he makes it important to us, He's telling us that it is for our good. It's how he's designed us. These physical limits, these finite limits, they are windows into our spiritual need. And lastly, our physical limitations, they ultimately point us to Jesus, the one without limits. Our physical limitations point us to Jesus, the one without limits. When we do this, when we recognize our physical limits, we better understand the physical implications, that, the spiritual implications that are connected to them. In realizing that we cannot do everything, 
we understand that we were never meant to. We were never meant to. There's only one person who can, the one who created us. When we feel like we can't do it all, we, were understand, we understand that we were never meant to. Our physical limitations point us to Jesus, the one who is without limits. In Matthew uh, chapter 11, Jesus talks about rest. And what I find really interesting about this passage and the way that it falls within the gospels is Jesus talks about rest in Matthew chapter 11. And then if you just read a few verses forward into Matthew chapter 12, um, Jesus is being accused um, by religious leaders of violating the Sabbath law, doing it twice actually, by um, walking with his disciples and harvesting from the leftovers from the field and by healing a man who needed healing. So you've, you've got this Jesus talking about rest and the source of rest, and then you've got the people who don't really understand what God's rest was intended to be, accusing Jesus of violating what God had designed. If you look with me in in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, it says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Jesus invited them and he invites us not just to a day, but he invites us to the source of rest. He invites us to himself. We find true rest not in just ceasing from working, but in turn from the one who has worked for us. In turning to Jesus, he offers us eternal rest. He offers us himself. So we we get this idea, we get this concept. We understand Sabbath, God instituted it. We understand what it is. We see kind of like even how our physical limitations help us better, better understand why God instituted Sabbath or the idea of rest in the first place. So why do we think that we can outsmart God's design? Why do we think that if he has set things in motion in such a way, why do we think that we, those rules don't necessarily apply to us? Why do we resist the invitation to Sabbath, to stop, to cease from working and turn to Jesus. We find ourselves ignoring God's design for Sabbath. That's the place where we find ourselves. And I'm gonna say this, and this is not me vilifying or decrying our culture, I'm just stating a fact. We live in a culture where there was always something that is clamoring for our attention. And our attention is always looking for some place to turn. We're always wanting to give it away. We try to create our own rest And when we do this, it often involves the absence of our vocational work, but the presence of things that are equally unrestful. So how do we ignore uh, God's design for Sabbath? I'm going to toss out two ideas. The first is that we choose passive escape rather than active rest. We choose passive escape rather than active rest. So just follow this example with me. It may be fictional. It may be reality. Um, I come home at the end of the day. I walk in the door, I'm with my family, we spend time together, we sit down around the dinner table, we enjoy feasting, we enjoy remembering and celebrating things together. Then all four of the kids, they're upstairs at different times, they're doing their routine, they end up in bed, and I find myself um, in the living room on the couch in front of the YouTube. I find myself in front of this, this lit up flashy box that hangs above my fireplace with this remote in my hand that transports me into fictional worlds that can draw away from me where my current reality is. And I find myself in these scenarios with these heroes and heroines that can do things that I could never do. Or I find myself just subjecting my reality to this form of of spiritual numbness to where I'm not able to either interact interact with the things that have happened, happened in my day 
and process them in a way that would be good for myself, good for others, good for the kingdom of God. And, and hear me right, guys, I'm, I watch TV. I'm not saying TV is a bad thing. But what I am saying is that when we look to something outside of Jesus to be a source for rest for us, something that it never can be, it's always going to disappoint. It will lead us to be more tired than actually finding rest that we need. We choose passive escape rather than active rest. When I'm passively escaping, I'm actually running from something. When I'm actively resting, I'm remembering, I'm celebrating, I'm recovering, I'm refreshed. So first, we, we choose passive escape over active rest. Second, we work hard and we hardly rest. We work hard and we hardly rest. And by doing so, we ignore God's design for Sabbath. In the middle of this easy escapism, lots of places to turn and run, where people who keep working and not resting. Now, I believe that there is a whole catalog of things that we could walk through, testimonies that each of us could give as to why we keep working and stop resting. You might feel pressure to prove your worth or ability to others, or even yourself, honestly. You may work to show you that you're worth something. You may work to show others the same thing. You might have outside pressures of those who you work for or alongside, pressures that cause you to act like you have no physical limits, but you work so hard that you always find them at the end of the day. Or maybe work is a source of identity for you. It is how you know who you are. And so if you take it away, you don't even know what to do. You don't know how to act or respond or what to talk about or where to go. Your work becomes the space that you live in. And if you, if you, if you extract who you are out of your work, your identity is missing and you're not sure what to do. Or it may be just the sheer value of productivity. And guys, this is where things get really rough for me. I like to accomplish things. I like to do stuff. I like the feeling that I get of getting something done, of accomplishment. I can turn rest into a, into a task to accomplish like nobody's business. I miss the whole idea of what God has given us, the gift he has handed over to us in rest by the way that I approach the value of productivity. Listen to this. This is Pastor Tim Keller. He says, all of us are haunted by the work under our work that need to prove and save ourselves to gain a sense of worth and identity. But if we can experience gospel rest in our hearts, if we can be free from the need to earn our salvation through our work, we'll have a deep reservoir of refreshment that continually rejuvenates us, restores our perspective, and renews our passion. Friends, I would love to be able to stand before you today and to tell you that I have this whole work rest thing figured out. Honestly, I feel like I'm one of the people who is least qualified to stand up here and talk on this topic. I get things all out of whack. I take work at home with me at night, thinking that if I take it home with me and get it done, that it's not gonna be waiting for me when I get there the next morning. It bleeds over into my weekend, into my family time. And listen, I'm, God has called me to pastor. I'm not talking about pastoral care. I'm not talking about family emergencies. I'm not talking about even helping with last minute volunteer needs. I'm talking about programs and processes and personnel situations that would be better off left to rest rather than me lugging them around with me. They need space to sit where I can come back to them with renewed perspective and a prayerful response. I'm not saying this to us this morning. I'm not talking about it in a way that I've got it all together, that I get it, because I don't. We are pilgrims on this journey of rest 
together. But what we all have to acknowledge is that God has given it to us and we have a responsibility with it. We're all in this fast-paced, frenetic, seemingly out of control work week together. And in it, we have the opportunity to the one the opportunity to point one another to the one who offers us true rest. So if we ignore God's design for Sabbath, how do we restore God's design for Sabbath? I'm gonna offer a couple thoughts. The first is to start by stopping. Start by stopping. Just stop. Ask yourself, what gives you value and worth? How does your weekly rhythm feed the answer to that question? If, you get your worth, if we get our worth from what we do, then we have to keep going to have value. If we get our value the way that God has designed us to get value actually outside of ourselves, we get our value through who God says that we are through the sacrificial blood of Jesus, that we are his sons and daughters, that he is our father, the king, that we were bought with a price, if we believe that our value is anchored in who God says we are, then we're not constantly looking elsewhere to be validated. We're consistently resting in the finished work of Christ, the worth given to us through him. So if we start with stopping, then what? Right? We all just kind of like sit around and sing kumbaya and uh, we don't have TVs or cell phones, no activity at all. Now, that's not the kind of rest that we're talking about. This is not the kind of rest that God initiated. When we rest, we remember and we celebrate God's work. We remember and we celebrate God's worth. The Sabbath rest that God has called us to is not a license for laziness. It involves actively remembering and actively celebrating what God has done. It revolves relationship and worship. We cease for our own striving and provision and actively remember God's provision for us. We enjoy the things that God has given us, good food, people we love and enjoy, a Sunday afternoon nap, and namely a freedom to stop from our striving even for a time. As we finish our time together this morning, I wanna help us take a first step toward restoring God's design for Sabbath. And I'm gonna do this through four Ps because this is a, a sermon and I feel like I need to alliterate them. So we've got four Ps, four Ps for practical Sabbath. The first is to push toward the awkward. The idea of Sabbath and rest is completely countercultural for us. We live in a society where we do more, we do it faster, we do it better, and we don't stop. So we have to lean into that idea that God has given us space to rest, to stop from striving. We have to lean into the way that that feels when we initially do it. I have to tell you, when we go on vacation, I have a hard time for like the first two days, right? I'm just trying to figure out like, what do I do? How do I stop? How do I ratchet down? How do I engage? All that says about me is the unhealthy rhythms that I have in my weekly pattern, that I don't engage Sabbath rest regularly in a way that when I have space for extended Sabbath rest, I don't even know what to do with it but I've got to lean into that awkward. I've got to lean into it. And I've got to ask, what do I do with it? I've got to ask God how to help me process the rest that he's given me. Even asking these questions, is what I'm doing restful even if it's physically strenuous? Do I enjoy it? Does it cause me to celebrate and, God, and, celebrate and remember God's activity in my life? Am I including other people in my rest? So we push through the awkward. Second is that we prioritize presence. We prioritize present. We can physically stop working and mentally never shut down. 
As you rest, strive to be mentally where your feet are with the people and places and things that surround you. Are you listening? Are you engaging? Are you emotionally connected to the space where you are? So we push through the awkward. We prioritize presence. The third is that we plan ahead. There's a guy named Andy Crouch um, that I I call him a cultural theologian. Um, He talks about planning for Sabbath one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. So that one hour of day is when he is having dinner with his family and he's fully engaged in presence. He electronically unplugs from the connected life and they're present with one another. That one day a week is when he fully engages in Sabbath rest, what that looks like for him and looks like for his family. And one week a year on vacation, they go away together and have space for intentional time together and an intentional time for rest personally. We've got a plan ahead. The last P, and this is the most important friends, is that we must pursue Jesus. This is what makes Sabbath rest different than Eastern meditation or modern mindfulness. This is what makes all the difference. Our rest as believers, as people following Jesus, must be rooted in Jesus, his work for us, his good gifts to us, his active involvement in our daily life. If Jesus isn't involved, in, in the thoughts, in the conversations, in the presence of our rest, then we can just chalk it up as personal me time. That's all it is. We find rest in Jesus alone. So what if this whole idea, this feast of Sabbath, what if it's just practice for eternity? When time and history on earth is over and people have given their, who have given their lives to Jesus are invited to a final feast, a wedding feast that initiates an eternal rest where the heaven that we long for actually is our true home, where we find perfect rest, not in what we do or what we don't do by what is done or by what is left undone, but fully in the person of Jesus as we see him face to face. Let's look at rest that way. Let's look at Sabbath in that way. Let's rest, let's remember Let's celebrate. Friends, let's feast together. Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we come to you as a people who get tired and weary and worn out and need rest. And God, we thank you that you know that about us. You created us to need rest and that we would only find satisfaction. We would only find true rest in you. So God, as we hear the echo of Jesus's words in our own lives, that we are to come to you, all of you, all of us who are burdened and heavy laden and that you will truly be our rest. You will give us your rest, God. We we say that we trust you, that we wanna take that step of faith. And in stepping, we're not working or earning because there's nothing we can do to earn any more value from you. But we're trusting. We're trusting that you love us, that you're for us, that you know what's best for us. And as we engage the pattern of rest that you've set before us, that we will receive good, that the name of Jesus will go um, throughout the world as you build your kingdom and ultimately you will receive glory. God, we love you, we trust you, we rest in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.